Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by USA Today, Florida Network. Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign finally flames out. DeSantis immediately jumps on the Trump train. And Florida could soon be getting a lot more attention from the defeated governor. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... Well, there are a ton of numbers that tell the story of uh, DeSantis's failed presidential campaign, but unfortunately, I can only uh, pick one. And the number I am going with is 99. And no, that is not a, a Jay-Z reference, although DeSantis uh, definitely has at least uh, 99 problems, if not more. Uh, John, you want to tell us about your number? Yeah, Zach, uh, my number this week is 110,298. All right, John going big. How about you, Antonio? Well, you know, when John goes high, I go low. I'm going to simple 210. 210. All right. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll let you know what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, six days after his beatdown in Iowa, DeSantis finally called it quits on a presidential campaign that has really been on the ropes uh, since the beginning with a failed uh, launch on Twitter, dysfunction throughout the uh, campaign, uh, really struggling to gain traction with voters, not really having a lane uh, between the Trump's base and and some of the never-Trumpers. Uh, John, it, it kind of felt like this is sort of a, 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 a presidential campaign that might uh, be taught one day in political science classes about sort of textbook how not to run a campaign. Oh, it does. It, it seems like the DeSantis failure is one worth studying. It's uh it's leaving a lot of trail markings for future candidates who may get to a, a similar spot. Uh, you know, the message basically being that they should do just the opposite of what Ron DeSantis did. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the first is timing. We've talked about, uh, you know, before about how DeSantis was at his peak shortly after the November 2022 elections. Yeah, he, a lot of people think he kind of got out of the gate uh, too slowly here, that, that really he, he needed to strike while the iron was hot, while Trump was was wounded and kind of, you know, sometimes in politics, you got to kick them when they're down and really take advantage of your opponent's vulnerabilities. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, that was recall, you know, 2022, Trump was being blamed by Republicans uh, again for for losing the U.S. Senate to a Democratic majority and for barely capturing the House without the red wave that many thought was coming. Uh, you know, DeSantis, by contrast, won re-election in Florida by 19 percentage points. He was riding very high. But DeSantis did not announce his candidacy then when conservatives were taking shots at Trump. Instead, DeSantis returned to Tallahassee and kept, you know, rolling out red meat policies for the next six months before finally announcing that he was running for president. Uh, that, that gave Trump time to get up off the carpet and begin drawing sympathy from his followers for the the first of what became four criminal indictments that he would eventually draw. And it also, John, it gave Trump time to really define DeSantis. I mean, he was absolutely merciless and going after DeSantis even before DeSantis won re-election uh, in November of 2022. He was already taking shots at him. Uh, and that continued all the way up until DeSantis launched his campaign in May and obviously all the way up until uh, DeSantis uh, quit the race. I mean, he defined him as desanctimonious and, and uh, you know, uh, kind of there were all different kinds of attacks, labeled him Meatball Ron, all, all these different things, was already putting out ads uh, against him uh, before he was even in the race. Uh, and DeSantis really didn't respond throughout that whole period and, and uh, just let those t uh, attacks go uh, uh, unresponded to. What do, you, what do you think about that? He should have, you know, given voters some reason to vote for him over Trump. Draw, draw a sharp contrast between the front runner, who was Trump. Uh, but th at that point, Trump was maybe not quite the front runner that he later became. Uh, you know, Zach, I know you've always been a follower of the mantra once espoused by country singer Jerry Reed. When you hot, you hot. And DeSantis was hot. <laughs> I actually have that tattooed on my arm, John. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, it, it never happened for DeSantis. And, uh, you know, when you think back to, you know, he was uh, overly confident with the millions of dollars that he was taking in from donors, you know, all the smart money in the party, just like Florida's Jeb Bush found in 2016, that established money is no indicator that you know where the party voters are going. And then, of course, he wound up, you know, churning through staff in both his campaign and his super PAC. Uh, he had a flailing message that uh, an unwillingness to criticize his main rival, Trump, and uh, really a failure to present a reason why he was really a better candidate than Trump. Those are all textbook lessons from the uh, DeSantis campaign. And, uh, you know, now, of course, he's returning to Tallahassee with, uh, you know, some advisors and maybe his own aspirations saying that 2028 is in his future. But, uh, you know, uh, I think Trump said it. Uh, only if he gets a personality transplant uh, is, is Ron DeSantis capable of uh, coming back in 2028. Because, you know, uh, perhaps DeSantis' biggest failure of this campaign was his inability to connect with voters and present himself as an inspiring leader for this country. Uh, you know, candidates can learn from Trump. Uh, you have to like people to run for president. When we come back... Now that DeSantis has kissed Trump's ring, we talk about what their relationship could be like going forward. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. talked about this before I, I think DeSantis did get better as a candidate throughout the campaign he became a little bit more fluid in his presentation a little bit lighter on his feet um, a, a little bit less scripted but but in general he still really did stick to the script and and it did seem like he just um, had trouble fully connecting with voters and just loosening up and and uh, kind of throwing off some of the um, the tightness that he that he just kind of seems to have you know he was so policy focused so detail focused he really has uh you know a granular command of of some of these issues but he seemed to get lost in the weeds and never really pulled himself out of that and gave a bigger picture uh and gave sort of a, a more emotional inspiring picture he was he was very methodical in how he presented himself you know you mentioned 2028 i think one reason uh, one one example that you can point to that he that he still does have designs on 2028 is just how quickly Antonio uh, that that DeSantis endorsed Trump. Uh, you know, in his uh, uh, dropout uh, video, he immediately uh, backed Trump, bent the knee after. Uh, towards the end of the campaign, he was he was sort of uh, mocking Trump and saying, "Oh, you could be the the worst Republican in the world, but if you bend the knee, he'll he'll think you're great." Uh, and then he immediately bends the knee to him. It seems like uh, he wants to inherit that MAGA base to, uh, still, and and he knows that he's going to need that if he ever wants to run again, and that he has to make nice with Trump, even though Trump absolutely savaged him and uh, you know that's kind of what trump does he he sort of uh you know forces people to eventually uh kiss kiss his ring um and desantis uh was, was very quick to do that yeah but let's let's put pump the brakes a bit on the 2028 talk for desantis because in addition to everything that you and john have just spoken about that on the national stage he, he was not a good candidate now does he learn his lessons and do better next time around yeah, perhaps but he seemed to have burned a lot of money to simply just punch his ticket out of Iowa. But the, the bigger problem is this that he's going to have. And that is that when you think about Trump, the brand is MAGA. The brand is America first. But the, more, the most important word in that universe is loyalty. Loyalty is the glue that holds the entire movement together. It's why his followers look past four sets of criminal indictments with 91 felonies because they believe that Trump will be loyal to them, to, to them, and therefore they are loyal to Trump no matter what. And the problem is that DeSantis violated that loyalty oath. He went against Trump in, in, in an arena where he was widely seen as having benefited from Trump's endorsement back in 2018 to win the governor's race in the first place. Right. And some people might wonder, Antonio, how does this differ from like past primaries? You know, Trump and, and Lindsey Graham went at each other pretty hard. Trump and Ted Cruz went at each other pretty hard uh, in 2016. And Lindsey Graham is now uh, apparently pretty, pretty close with him. But, Marco you Rubio know, they didn't. The, yeah, Marco Rubio, uh, Marco Rubio, little Marco, and then Marco Rubio endorses Trump right before uh, the the Iowa caucus. Um, you know, after after really being embarrassed by him uh, in the 2016 campaign, it, it, it does seem like uh, DeSantis is different though, because his political career really does depend to a large degree on Trump. If Trump hadn't endorsed him in his primary against Adam Putnam. 
he very well likely wouldn't have won that race. So there is more of that, you know, loyalty uh, aspect to it. There is. And, and, and that's the, the precise reason that, yeah, these people that you mentioned, you know, Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio, do not owe their political careers to Trump. Trump sees that basically he, that DeSantis owed him. And, you know, DeSantis ran against him at the moment that Trump, like, the Trump was down, that he that he was you know, almost out, out of this race. I mean, almost a year, little bit more than a year ago, a lot of people were writing him off, and here comes DeSantis. So there was, a in, in all of these attacks, a three-finger pudding ad that Trump, you know, rifled off at DeSantis last year. All of these attacks seemed really personal. Now, here's the thing that I was at a Trump speech in October in West Palm Beach, and he said something really interesting. He, he said that, you know, the sentence could forget about 2028. All right, that's in the heat of battle. But then he said, I can never forget the disloyalty. Now, he didn't say I can never forgive the disloyalty. He said I can never forget the disloyalty, which suggests that maybe, maybe DeSantis can get back in the MAGA line, yeah. back in, in the I MAGA mean, Trump is very yeah. transactional, isn't he? Yeah. In the end... Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see him holding a grudge. I also think that he definitely holds grudges. But but in the end, if if uh, Desantis plays ball and, uh, and helps, helps him out, him out yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Here's where I think the rubber will meet the road when we start talking about 2028. Yeah, Desantis gets back in line, but he's not going to be. I don't think at the front of the line as he was before. He was really yeah. Who knows? Uh, like uh, Don Jr. could be running. You could or, you could or, see or, Matt Gates or or any of these Gates. other or, MAGA Republicans or, running. Or let's say let's say in the presidential race, let's say Christy Noem of South Dakota, the governor of South yeah. Dakota, that state she was talked about as a potential candidate, and she backed off. You know, she was loyal. Are, are, is Trump going to back DeSantis over Christy Noem? What about in Florida? Let's say Marco Rubio decides that eh, you know. Uh, enough of the U.S. Senate. He moves out. Okay, you know, DeSantis could could, could be a, a candidate for a U.S. Senate. He is still popular in Florida. But what about if Byron Donalds throws his hat in the ring? You know, Byron Donalds is loyal. He didn't run against Trump. He's he, in fact, Byron Donalds is out on CNN with the quote unquote you know radical left media defending Trump all the time. So I think there are others who are going to say, hey, hold up a second. You know, you you were disloyal. I've been loyal. And I think that's going to be another challenge that the governor is going to have. And there was an interesting development late last night where there's been a bill that was floated to fund Trump's legal bills with taxpayer dollars in Florida. And DeSantis tweeted out that, you know, the Republican who uh, holds the veto pen doesn't support this bill, basically saying no way that this is going to uh, pass. So th that was interesting. You know, I mean, he's he's endorsing Trump. He's bending the knee, but he also still seems to want to, you know, have some independence there. And, and he's not willing to right. fund uh, Trump's legal bills with taxpayer money. That's a great that's a great point, Zach, because we're talking about how Trump sees DeSantis. But that kind of also tells us a little bit about how DeSantis still sees Trump. And and DeSantis does have agency here. He does have a say. He, he will be he's got uh, still, a you know, this session and two more. Uh, yeah. to run things in Florida. So I, like I said, I, I pumped the brakes on 2028, but there's partly because there's just a lot that has to be sorted out. When we come back, now that DeSantis's presidential campaign is over, we will look at what the last three years of his term as governor could be like in Tallahassee. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. DeSantis' presidential campaign might be over, but he still has almost three years left as governor, John, and he's coming back to Tallahassee uh, licking his wounds, but there's a lot that he can still do in the legislature. You know, the legislature has been very deferential to him. They're, they've, uh, you know, really passed a lot of the, the last few legislative sessions have, have revolved almost entirely around pushing uh, big uh, conservative bills that he could tout on the campaign trail in Iowa, which is what he immediately did with uh, bills like the ban on abortions after uh, six weeks of pregnancy. What, what do you think uh, DeSantis does here? Do you think that he comes back and cools it off a little bit, uh, you know, that he doesn't really need to uh, get a lot of this conservative policy passed or that he comes back uh, itching to, to show what he can do and set himself up for 2028? Well, you know, a lot of attention was paid to uh, Ron DeSantis's boots and his heels. Well, now, now we're going to find out what a rebooted Ron DeSantis is going to look like. Uh, you know, there are plenty of divisive culture war bills out there in the Florida legislature that he could re-engage with. Uh, you know, they're protecting Confederate monuments, uh, making uh, doctors liable for legal damages stemming from abortions. And uh, there's bills banning gay pride flags and local governments. Uh, you know, all those are kind of things that are right in DeSantis's wheelhouse. Uh, but, you know, th this war on woke uh, for DeSantis was, is, as one Democratic legislator called me, told me, uh, said it, it was a dud. It, it really didn't resonate that much for him nationally. But really all told, I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing at this point, but I, I think it's possible that DeSantis keeps a lower profile when he reemerges as governor. Uh, not too low. I think he'll find ways to attack the Biden administration over inflation uh, and the border policy, things that are seen as helping Republicans nationally headed toward the uh, November elections. And, and it does seem, John, that DeSantis is a true believer with a lot of this stuff. You know, some of it maybe was positioning for Iowa. I, he didn't really do a lot with abortion dur during his first few years as governor. And that really did seem like that was um, sort of uh, trying to appeal to evangelicals in Iowa. So, you know, maybe you don't see as much of some of those social conservative policies going forward, but his effort to remake the education system, to to remake the, the administrative state, to really put his conservative stamp on government, it, it seems like he, he really believes uh, strongly in some of these things. Yeah, and you know, may, maybe he'd even try to take on things like property insurance whose costs are plaguing Floridians, uh, you know, if he could improve that, he'd go a long way toward boosting what, you know, may be an emerging sign of DeSantis fatigue in Florida right now. Uh, you know, I, I think his fellow Republican leaders in Florida may be looking to have a legislative session uh, for the next two months without a lot of protests yeah. and criticism as they all head for elections this fall. And, um, you know, I, I, I think you may see DeSantis take something of a backseat to the national yeah. presidential race. Uh, you know, maybe he becomes, again, just sort of a, a protege to Trump like he used to be and, uh, you know, eager to do the, the then like he was in 2020, you know, eager to do the then president's bidding to uh, curry favor with the party. And uh, uh, De DeSantis really has a long, long way to come back if he wants to appear relevant again. 
you know, if he does think that 2028 is a possibility for him, uh, he's going to have to regenerate goodwill and doing stuff that seems aimed chiefly at shining a light on himself. I don't think that's going to do it. I think uh, the old Yale baseball captain is going to have to be a team player for the rest of uh, this year. And a lot of people have said that some of these really critical issues in Florida, like property insurance, like affordable housing, fentanyl crisis, other things have kind of taken a backseat to some of the uh, more partisan stuff that uh, appeals to primary voters. You think potentially this gives him a window to kind of settle back and try and uh, make some progress on some of these really tricky problems that maybe don't get as much uh, headlines. Yeah, yeah, you know, try to try to look gubernatorial for a while. Do do stuff that maybe helps his state. And um, you know, the the state is turning red, as we've written about a lot. I mean, it's maybe it's gone beyond turning red. It is red. Uh, so voters like a lot of what DeSantis does. So um, if he just plays to that, um, I guess you know that does cross into some of the culture war issues, which seem to resonate with Florida voters and uh, and Fox News. But it's the, the, these things that are so divisive in the state, though, too, because they all they Florida still has a lot of Democrats, uh, you know, no party affiliates and um, just just a lot of people that repel at some of these uh, issues that seem to try to marginalize communities like the transgender community, uh, black voters, LGBTQ voters uh, generally um, uh, and school children. I think a lot of parents are questioning some of this stuff that winds up with, uh, you know, book bans all over the state. And uh, uh, it's time to maybe tamp that down a bit. And maybe going forward, DeSantis tries to thread that needle somehow, tamping it down, but at the same time still promoting parental rights and, uh, you know, uh, the the, the role of uh, state government in, you know, setting the tone uh, away from some of these more liberal cities that uh, enact things that Republicans hate. Yeah, it's been a pretty intense political environment in Florida over the last couple of years, and people have really been at each other's throats. We'll see if there's a little bit of a de-escalation now that uh, his presidential ambitions have fallen flat. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here. Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, I have 210, as in 210 seconds, or three and a half minutes. And that's how long, almost six years ago, it took a shooter to walk into Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, and in a rampage, killed 17 students and staff and wound many others. And the reason I bring this up isn't just because the anniversary looms on February 14th, but because yesterday I covered a roundtable up in Coral Springs uh, that was led by U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, uh, who was in town to basically tour the building where the shooting took place. Uh, the local congressman, Jared Moskowitz, whose district covers Parkland, where the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School is, as well as Southern Palm Beach County. He's been sort of hosting these closed media tours of the of the building to, tr- to try to elevate the discussion and, and just keep the, you know, the, the memory of the students and the, the staff that were killed, but also to basically highlight the fact that we still need to do a lot more to protect schools. So after the tour, there was an hour and a half discussion. Some of the surviving family members of the Parkland victims were there. They participated. And a lot of the discussion had to do with ways to protect schools, you know, school resource officers, which are sort of like good guys with guns and putting automatic locks on doors and film on windows. 
Um, and then there was a lot of discussion about mental illness and, and say something to the right person and then sharing information. So a lot of a lot of the discussion was that on that. But it, it did strike me that there's a lot that goes into keeping kids safe at school these days. And uh, after the discussion, I asked Cardona, I said, listen, you know, why is this such a, a, a seemingly a unique American problem? And, and he talked about the availability of AR-15s. And that was really the, one of the first times that the, actually gun measures uh, got into the conversation. And, uh, you know, I'll wrap up by just simply saying that, I, you know, th there's a lot being done to protect schools and, and schools are certainly safer than they were on February 14th of 2018. Uh, but at the same time, whether you're out in public or you're out at a shopping center or at a movie theater or even a school, it is kind of a uniquely American phenomenon and tragedy that you are at risk of a mass shooting um, you know, because in every other risk that we take, whether it's driving in a car or getting in a car accident, you know, global terrorism, th those are things that are just prevalent all over the planet. But the mass shootings uh, does seem to be a uniquely American uh, phenomena. And we are still living and particularly in schools, living with the, the legacy of uh, the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. A lot of loss, a lot of heartbreak, you know, a lot has been done to try to prevent it from happening again. But it's still a very complicated legacy. Yeah, definitely a really sad and important issue that uh, deserves uh, a lot of discussion going forward to try and prevent some of these shootings. John, you want to tell us about your number? Well, Zach, I'm still frozen in Iowa as uh, as you once were, uh, and my I'm number still down is... out. It's it was really really cold, bitter cold. And, uh, yeah, I've got to get some uh, more detail from you on uh, just how bad was it, but. Uh, 110,298, well, that's the number of Iowa Republicans who took part in the recent caucuses that ultimately led to Ron DeSantis' exit from the presidential race. Uh, you know, as we said, DeSantis finished second, 30 points behind Trump, and he spent $35 million in Iowa to get there. Uh, you you got to wonder about, you know, presidential politics in America. Uh, and, and some of it is, you know, partially rooted in that 110,298 Iowans can have so much outsized influence. Uh, you, you know, think about it. After that Iowa vote, they've killed off DeSantis. Vivek Ramaswamy left Nikki Haley teetering onto New Hampshire where she needs to really gain some loft or begin her own exit strategy, I suppose. And uh, Iowa has made Trump seemingly invincible on his path to the Republican nomination. Uh, political scientists have talked about the need for some better system of selecting a nominee. You know, ideas are maybe a, a group of similar sized states holding nominating events the same day, uh, something like a, you know, more Super Tuesday style days, I guess, or maybe a handful of regional primary contests. Those are all kind of concepts that are out there. Um, but, you know, uh, 110,298 Iowa Republicans isn't even a lot in Iowa. There are about 630,000 registered Republicans in Iowa, and most of them stayed home for that caucus, for the caucuses. Um, but but they were, uh, those that did show up were basically enough to show DeSantis the door. Yeah, you make a good point. It really is a very small and uh, fairly unrepresentative group of voters that have a huge amount of sway in the presidential nominating caucus. Well, my number is also Iowa related. It's 99, as in DeSantis campaigned in 99 Iowa counties, and he won exactly zero of them. Trump won 98 of the counties, and Nikki Haley won one county. So, 
so much for DeSantis's much vaunted ground game in Iowa. I mean, this was all that his campaign talked about for months and months as the polls uh, showed him just continuing to, to sink uh, farther below uh, Trump and Haley climbing on him. They were constantly pointing to their organization in Iowa and saying, you know, just watch. We've got all these door knockers. We've got uh, you know, people, volunteers on the ground. We've got the best organization of any campaign. And in the end, it did make a little bit of a difference. Uh, you know, he DeSantis was polling in third place going into Iowa and outperformed the polls. He beat Nikki uh, Haley for for second place. Uh, some uh, analysts that I saw it looked like maybe that his ground game helped him between two and five percentage points, but really nowhere near enough. Uh, and, and it really uh, came after months of him basically saying these polls are are uh, BS and worthless and nobody believes them. The polling was actually uh, very close, uh, very accurate in the end. Uh, DeSantis' ground game may have helped him outperform a little bit, but, but really not by much. And it just goes to show that, you know, you can have all the money in the world. Uh, uh, you can, you know, set up, the, the greatest campaign organization in the world. But if you're not a good candidate, uh, if you if you leave voters cold, um, there is no amount of money that can save you. In the end, he wasn't able to uh, connect with voters on an emotional level like Trump was. Uh, you know, it, it really was uh, a tale of two campaigns. What Trump checked the only box that really matters, though, and that's whether voters respond to you uh, as on an emotional level as a candidate. DeSantis, it turns out, left a lot of voters colder than Iowa in January, and that's where his campaign froze to death. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Rob Landers. Thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.